I don't know who you are, but welcome to the Irish Photography Podcast. Sit back, relax, and listen about cameras, gear, settings, stories, and all things photography. Join Dermot and Darren on Ireland's Best Photography Podcast. Let's go. And you're very welcome to episode 107 of the Irish Photography Podcast. I'm Darren, I'm in charge this evening, and I'm with my buddy in Limerick, Dermot. Dermot, how are you getting on, bud? I'm going, f- going, f- I'm going flying it, I was going to say, but I'm doing very, very well. Happy days. Good stuff, good stuff. And come here, you know, I was thinking there, what we were going to talk about this evening, and when we were away last week and we recorded the podcast in the Wild Atlantic Way, I was really looking forward to getting back to editing my images, and I tried some different things to try and do different editing, and I went, hang on, I wonder, can I do that in Lightroom, or does Lightroom do this? And then I found something, and I said, you know what, this is really interesting, I'm learning from it, maybe you might learn from it, but I definitely thought that our audience as well could benefit from it, because there's a number of things within Lightroom that can help you, and I said, you know what, how about we do the the episode this evening on that article that I read, and we can go through the items, you and me, and go through them step by step, and you know, if people are listening to the podcast then, listening at home or whatever on headphones, do it in front of your computer, but you've got Lightroom open, and we'll try and go through the same steps as well as you and see, you know, can we learn something? Maybe you knew it already. Maybe you didn't. Maybe it'd be an eye opener. But I think it's something that we should do. So that's what I want to do this evening, Dermot. You up for that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It sounds like a good bit, good bit of crack. Um, but first and foremost, like some of the stuff now, there is a new update of Lightroom. So you may or may not have the update, but Lightroom is now currently called LRC. So there is another Frickin' name change, man. I swear to God, if if Adobe makes one more name change to this, I'm literally going to stab them in an eye with a Byra. With a Pion Louis. With a Pion Louis. Louis. (laughs) I mean, it's just just going beyond a joke, like. It really is. Just stick with a frickin' name, man. You know, just... I mean, it's getting to the stage where they're changing it every six months. Well, you know what? Something that I've been thinking too, because I have Lightroom on my computer, I have Lightroom CC on my computer, and I have Lightroom Classic on my computer. And I don't want to use the Lightroom CC. I don't want to delete the original Lightroom because I'm fearful if I delete something that's going to be connected into it or be gone forever, whichever it may be. I know it won't, but I'm still fearful of that. (laughs) Then we got Lightroom Classic, and now, as you say, it's no longer Lightroom Classic, it's LRC. Getting very hip and trendy with their uh, acronyms, their TLAs. Yeah, ah, sure, look. All right, so look, first and foremost, before we go any bit further, right, so the Lightroom Classic uh, model that we're using, okay, is 9.3, okay, just to clarify in any way, shape, or form. You could have maybe older version of Lightroom. That's absolutely no problem. But I haven't read the whole list now. I just kind of glanced at it. I've been just up to the my eyeballs of stuff recently there, Darren. So I know there's stuff that will correlate from one... Lightroom kind of package or software yeah. uh, to the older one, which is fine. But there may be newer things in there that won't be accessible to older 
update or older updates, older updates, older models of the platform. Oh, yeah, older versions. Yeah, yeah. And look, I mean, most of them, I suppose, will be kind of part of the DNA. But you're right; there might be one or two things. But you know, if people are already using Lightroom anyway, I'd suggest upgrade to the to the newer version because you know there are some new features in it, and I actually do think it runs a bit faster too, uh, from what I've seen so far. So. We'll see how that goes. So, yeah, so the article that I read was on Digital Camera World. Um, and we'll put a link into the article, into the description on the uh, on the podcast. But it's by a guy called Kirk Norbury. And it's 10 hidden features in Lightroom Classic CC. And, you know, what really got my attention, I suppose, really, is I started to learn a couple of things by using Photoshop, but using different masks. Um, sorry, what? I see you, sorry, you I have, used yeah, what? I have. A mask, yeah. Not one that you put over my face because I've got a face for radio, but no, a mask <laughs> that you can utilise on um, Photoshop. So you managed to open Photoshop? I have, yeah, I have, yeah. But you I, know what, I, Darren? I, I, think, I really genuinely think the whole nation is so proud of you right now. <laughs> I mean, they're like, oh my God, it's like when you see your child walk for the first time. I mean, I know. Darren, I'm actually shedding a tear here. Oh my God. I'm so proud but of you, You know man. what? I did it, man, and I also blended an image as well, which was amazing. Oh my god, so, you know, this yeah, is just yeah. oh, Mind ring the president, ring, ring, ring everyone, lads, <laughs> Jesus, ring Digital Camera World and let them know Darren Spoonley masked and blended. Jesus, this is a day for the ages. Well, that was in, that was in Photoshop, no, not in Lightroom. So you know, this know, article yeah. is about is about Lightroom. Like, but you know what? Here, uh, bula boss to me, boy. That's a that's a round of applause. Ask yeah, in there for yeah. you. Yeah. So listen, right, the first one here, okay, which is auto-masking. Now, did you know that Lightroom had auto-masking? Yes. Okay. So auto-mask is a fantastic feature if you're wanting to be very selective in where you want to see your adjustments. This can be done within the brush tool and be, can, can be selected just below the sliders for adjusting the brush size. Now, when the author uses this, he'll refer to I. So when I say I, it's not me because I'm not a Lightroom expert, okay? So, you know, when I use the auto mask feature, I always make sure the show selected mask overlay box is checked. This just makes it a lot easier to see what's been selected and if it's ever gone over the desired area. You can see in the image below that I wanted, so we'll show you the image when we put it up onto the, the, the page. I only wanted to select half a leaf by, by starting in the middle of the leaf. This gives Lightroom an idea of what it's going to work with. And once you get towards the edge, the auto mask kicks in and stops it from going over the edge. If the adjustment does bleed over, then you can select the erase tool and clean up these areas before you start changing the selection. So when I read that, I was thinking, okay, when will I use something from a brush tool? And I want to be careful about it that I don't want to spill over the lines. And if you're looking at something that, you know, in a landscape point of view, a lot of people would use a brush to try and brighten up certain areas or darken other areas. So the sky being the highlights or the shadows being the dark area. And if you look at landscapes and you can get mountainous areas or, you know, areas that there's going to be a high difference of contrast, then that's surely going to be something that can benefit because you can use the brush in a dark area and it's not going to spill over onto the, the bright area. Is that my right understanding of that? Yeah, it's 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 very it's 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 a brilliant tool, right? Simply if you're kind of trying to mask a sky, right? <clears throat> uh in Lightroom. So you have just say a mountain in the distance, and we're using graduated filters, soft grads, which I recommend you re might recommend something totally different. But it's when you use a soft grad on your image, so we'll just kind of go back to the, the base ground here. And so your sky is lovely, but your foreground is lovely, but then your mountain is darkened and it should be the same as your foreground. And we've all run into this problem. 
So what you need to do in Lightroom then is to go into your mask, your, um, you can use a graduated filter or you can use your brush tool. So I tend to use my brush tool and I might put it up by maybe uh, half a stop or a third of a stop and I'll use the auto masking on the corners, only the corners, okay. you know, and that way it'll blend it in perfectly for you. Now, you might have to go in and refine it and kind of look, saying, oh, look, it's spilled here. But if you press the O key, so that's literally the letter O on your key, it's going to show you where you've brushed. So it'll kind of come up like red spray paint. So it shows yes. you exactly where you've brushed and where you're removing it from. So I like to use that as well on top of using the auto masking. So then you know exactly where you've spilled over and where you haven't. And then by using the auto masking to refine it, you can just go in and take off the edges, whatever. But the second you're finished those kind of edges, the corners, I take off the auto masking feature because if you're to paint in an area where you don't need auto masking, it's going to take ages because it's evaluating and then it's using computer power to mm -hmm. evaluate the scene saying, okay, maybe he doesn't want this auto mask it. Frick it, man. I just want it all painted. Just, yeah, just boom, 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 boom. Wham, bam, tank man. And the brush will uh, work a lot faster also. Hmm. Okay. So, you know, that was the first one that I came across and I was thinking, wow, okay, this is already built in. So I don't really need now to go into Photoshop. So this is automatically keeping me inside in Lightroom, isn't it? Correct. Hmm. Okay. Um, and then the second one that he had, I suppose, is selective color change. And again, you know, you probably knew this, but did a lot of people know that you can actually get that within Lightroom? I didn't. I thought that you had to go into Photoshop to do that. And I was often scared in regards to it and saying, okay, do I really want to risk trying to you know, use these tools when I don't know what the buttons actually uh, mean. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a handy feature if uh, uh, I don't use it. I've, I've, never, I've never really found a need to use it because I don't change the colors too much. Uh, like you and I are landscape photographers. <clears throat> so what we do change is just kind of, we alter. We don't literally fuck, oh Jesus, nearly cursed. We don't uh, change it too much. Like, you know, it's like, like the things with landscape photography, things done subtly are far much better. Like we're all victims of this and we've all done it a hundred times before. We've went overboard in an edit. Like I had to rein you back in last week for about an image that you took. Fabulous image. Unbelievable. But you just went a little bit too far. But then you said, oh, it's the wrong one. I think you did it on your phone. Didn't you? Yeah. 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 So yeah. you changed it out for the other one. So, but yeah. like, that's the thing about it. Like if you're editing on a phone, you can very easily go overboard and not even realize it. But again, we all need to rein it back ever so slightly. And I think by using this, I, 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 I'm not a big fan of this one now, if I have to be honest. Yeah. And me neither, you know, but I was thinking of it then I was saying, okay, when would I actually need to use that from a landscape point of view? And I can't really see a time than I would, but the example actually here, you know, on this article that Kirk gives is that there's a door and the door is uh, is a white door and it's on a red background of a wall and he can go yeah. in by using this and change that background of the wall to blue so it can actually you know change the image that he wants to create into something to match something else that was there and now as you say here you know in regards to from the brush point of view and be specific you could go in and change one area of a wall to one color and it being the actual color originally you don't need to have to do anything different let's yeah. just say yeah do you know what Darren um, it's actually been so long since I've done it I actually I think I forget how to do it 
All right, well, I'll, I'll read here what Kirk says about it, okay? So, generally, you want to change the color of an element in your image, you have to use the hue sliders, but there's a limit to how far color can be pushed. Let's say you want to change the color of an element completely. So, like earlier, use the auto mask in the brush tool to select the area you want the color to be changed, and then turn the saturation all the way down, and also adjust the exposure so it's a little brighter and easier to see. And then with the brush module still open, at the bottom you'll see a small rectangle box with an X through it. Click this and you'll oh, now yeah. be able to select a color to be added to the selection. And by moving the dropper around and changing the opacity of the selected color, a brand new color will be in your image. I know exactly how to do it now. I forgot. Yeah. I actually genuinely forgot. Because we don't use it. But again, you know, it can be quite handy as a feature that, you know, you don't have to go into Photoshop to start doing that. It's actually in Lightroom. Yeah. Um, Another one, oh, no, I, I use this one um, when I do use sharpening, which is masking when sharpening. A lot of people, when they're applying you know, any sharpening to an image, it applies it to the entire image automatically. So, you know, when you use that, um, you can sharpen it, obviously, for the web or whatever it may have been. Um, so you can look at it specifically in one, in one uh, specific area, which is by using the mask. So at... Underneath the sharpening sliders, there's a masking feature, but if you click and drag the slider, it's very hard to see what it's doing. But holding down the Option and the Alt on the Mac and then begin to move the slider, you'll see the areas which are affected by the sharpness. These areas are black in the areas that will have, that will not have any sharpness applied to them, and they'll go white where the sharpness is actually being applied. And I think that's a very uh, handy thing when you don't want yeah. to destroy an entire image and just have to do one of two things you can go off and say, okay, you know what? I want to, whatever, sharpen up just the foreground yep. or reeds and stuff like that. Because if you've got a minimalist image as well and there's just one solitary thing within the image, you don't want to sharpen everything because then you start getting all these artifacts that appear in all this negative space. So by using that and holding down the Alt key, the screen will go black and you'll be able to see then the areas that are uh, turning white or the areas that you're sharpening. Yep. Yeah. I... I would use this more or less in every image, but what I do when I'm sharpening an image, and normally I kind of, I I, I teach classes here in Limerick to certain uh, people, you know, but I, I'll, I'll let out some secrets here while we're, while we're here, you know. <laughs> so <clears throat> when you're in your sharpening, right, so you can bring, it, it all depends on what you're trying to sharpen first and foremost. Like you, you have to remember, like you have to be shooting for your audience. So first shooting a, a woman, right? You're not going to be really sharpening the image too much, darn, because sharpened women don't look great. <laughs> they don't like to see their pores or their flaws or blemishes. Whereas a man <coughs> prefers to be rugged. You know, you mm -hmm. like to show the pores in his skin. It kind of gives the kind of meaty, kind of grungy look to an image. And it can look very, very well. But if you're shooting a landscape, then on top of that, you, you want to have a sharp image. But then there's times when you want to kind of an art and effect, a glow for your image, so you wouldn't use mm -hmm. much sharpening at all. But when I'm in Lightroom and I tend to sharpen my images, like I would bring for landscape, I might sharpen my image, the, the amount from anything from 70 to 100. I don't tend to go over 100. And what I'll do from there is normally your radius is at 1.0 and your detail is at 25. So what I do is I normally bring the radius the whole way down to 0 0.5, all the way to the left, and I bring the detail all the way to the right to 100 mm. and okay. then then i'll bring my masking i'll click my option key and i'll drag it up very very high and i might bring in anything from 85 up to 100 
And the reason for that is I only want certain parts of the image that are going to be sharpened, right? So mm-hmm. you'll have a log, you might have the rocks and everything, and the white parts that are being sharpened, Adobe uses an algorithm to uh, to evaluate what needs to be sharpened. So they tend to sharpen sharp edges. So if you look at your white as it's been dragged up along, you'll notice that it's only kind of corners of things and things yep. kind of stick out that are being sharpened and hard edges. They're the things that are being sharpened. Now, well, the reason why you only sharpen that little amount is I prefer then to go in and use my brush tool, right? And I'll zero off everything. And in there you can sharpen again, but then you're not globalizing the sharpening, you're localizing it. Yes. So you might have uh, maybe 30, plus 30 in sharpening and you can zoom into your image, into your rock or your branch, whatever you want. And you can add texture to it as well at the same time. So therefore you can just kind of go in and you can brush it in and you can be more selective and more refined. And I find that will do 10 times better for your image than doing a global edit. So that's my top tip for today. That'll be 20 hours, please. <laughs> you step twirls, yeah? Uh, yeah, I will actually, I will actually, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a good one. And it's something I think, you know, that most people probably would know about, but just in case you don't, uh, it's a very handy feature. But what you just said there, I think is even another extra tip. So yeah, that's worth a couple of tutorials anyway, at least. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right. The next one we're going to do here is match tonal exposures. So um, I was trying to think if I could, you know, reword this, but actually the way that it's been worded by Kirk, I think is quite good. So it's if I'm working with a lot of images and they're from the same sequence and the exposures are quite different from one another as I'm shooting an aperture. Why? But anyway, okay, if you're doing a wedding, maybe. But I want the exposures to be consistent throughout all the images. So if you just copied over the settings from one image to another, the exposure is different. So the image is going to appear even darker or lighter than previously. To get around this, first click on the image with the exposure and then open it in the develop module. Go down to the film strip at the bottom and select the other images in the sequence. And then when you want, uh, uh, you then want to go to settings and then match tonal exposures. Now you see all the other images match the original image, but the exposure hasn't changed. Hmm. So that's an, that's an interesting way of doing it. Now you could also do a control and C and you get the options to decide what you're going to copy and paste. And you could take your exposure out of that, I imagine, and then paste that in without the exposure change. Yeah. Yeah, you can. Yeah. Another kind of useless tool. Um, I suppose yeah. it's, it's grand, but I don't like to use that. I just, I shoot manual all the time. I never, I never come out of manual ever. Same. Ever since, ever since I've been born, <laughs> I've been a manual oh, yeah, you, baby. You were always a manual from the moment you started oh, walking, doing it myself, you know, like doing it my yeah. own, like yeah. Do you know? Do you know it's funny now, actually. Just a quick sidebar here. So, like when I was born, I was very sick, right, and I was saved, obviously, but I was left with a scar across my stomach. And basically what they had to do is cut me open and basically my heart was on the wrong side and my stomach and kidneys pushed up into my chest. So then they cut me open, pulled my stomach and kidneys down and pushed the heart back over to where it's supposed to be. But I was left with this big massive scar across my tummy, you know, and ever since I was a child, I'd say to my mum, why, why, why is that there? And then she said, that's where we put your batteries. <laughs> <laughs> so I... So I believe my parents, you know, that's, that's where your batteries go. Like that's, that's how you work. Like, 
So then, if I was being bold, my parents would go, if you don't stop that, I'm going to take her batteries out. Oh, my God, I would stop in freaking straight away. And I'd be like, I'm a good boy. I'm a good boy. Please don't take my batteries. Please don't take my batteries. Parenting yeah. 101 right there, man. Oh, stop. Yeah, still to this day, man, I can't get it out of my head. I can get these flashbacks of my batteries in my belly. Yeah. <laughs> What's that got to do with you shooting manually all the time? I just, I don't know. I just, I just, see what I mean? I'm haunted by this, man. It just came up about, I don't know, made a manual baby and batteries. I don't know. Let's uh, move okay, on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. We're going for one more there before we take a break. Okay. Um, and this is one actually, you know, that I'm seeing quite a lot of uh, when I look at images online. And I think it's something that a lot of people are doing, but, you know, maybe there's many different ways to do it in Photoshop. But again, within Lightroom, it's something that you can do, which is to give images the faded look. Because I normally look at it, you know, and again, you know, a common team of photographers at the moment, like I say, is trying to emulate traditional film. But one aspect you always see with film, especially in black and white, is the faded appearances to the blacks in the shadows areas. Now, trying to recreate this in Lightroom can be quite difficult as the main sliders struggle to do it. So to do it, you need to go down to the tone curve and make sure it's selected as linear and then add a few points spread across the line and give the image an S curve. Now it'll give it the faded look. Now to give it the faded look, all you need to do is click and drag up from the very bottom left in one corner. Do it slowly as the effect can be seen quite quickly. So maybe that's how people are giving faded looks without introducing quite lots of noise and stuff like that. Now, would you use the um, the tone during your editing? Uh, not really. Uh, once in a blue moon, if I'm feeling creative, first uh, this is the perfect example for the tone tone curves. But I wouldn't be I wouldn't be mad into it. Uh, if you were to kind of use it, maybe on a wedding image, and it might be you might be selecting one just to be kind of different. Mm -hmm. um, but no, I I don't think I've ever used that technique to be honest. But yeah, come here, I'll I'll try it myself later. Yeah. Yeah, you know, look, I've I've played around with there and you can actually get some quite interesting results. And I mean, the idea, like I'm no expert on it, but uh, the idea on the tone curve is that uh, on the bottom is what your input is and on the left-hand side is what your output is. So if you set your shadows to be at five and you move it up on the left-hand side, it'll start at five going in and it comes out at, say, 10 going out or whatever it may have been. So you can really get some good, I suppose, interesting effects quite quickly by playing with the... Uh, tone curve but I don't use it that much either but I start to play with it alright you know but it's an interesting one there to give that faded look so yeah look um, Dermot what we'll do there is we'll take a quick break and uh, we'll be right back with some more uh, interesting things about Lightroom Do you want to take your photography up a level? Do you want to hit that shutter from 100 feet away? Or perhaps you'd like to take your images remotely? With a built-in motion light and sound sensor you can capture unique shots and incredible time lapses. The Capture Pro from Hanel has got all that covered and more. Visit hanel.ie. And you're very welcome back to the Irish Photography Podcast. And the next item I'm going to discuss here in Lightroom is if you have photographs that you have to share with clients, it's an interesting one that you can do it within Lightroom, but you have to be using one of the other versions that Dermot and myself mentioned at the beginning there, which is the Lightroom CC, which is the Creative Cloud. So it's Lightroom that operates online. And when you are putting your photographs and you're editing your photographs, rather than having to export your photographs and send them to your client to have a look at them, what you can actually do there is create a collection based on the selected images and then make sure that there's a box uh, 
ticked, I suppose, really, called uh, Make Public. And then you can give that link because it'll generate a link that you can give to your client. So you don't have to export them. But I think the other interesting thing then as well is that the client can comment on the images so you'll be able to see rather than actually doing the edit and going back and doing a revision and going back and doing that. So it's effectively sharing the uh, the platform. But an interesting one by use of, of Lightroom CC, but I don't use it anyway. I don't think you use it as well. I think it's absolutely brilliant. And I think it's imperative for every portrait photographer to have this because it makes your editing process, it cuts not communication down, but the length of communication down with a client and you can get your job done so much more easily. So say if you take pictures of a family portrait, you take fucking 20, 30, 40 pictures and a lot of photographers, portrait photographers, would charge by the print. Yeah. So if you're charging by the print, then you let your client see X amount of pictures rather than waiting for them to create an appointment with you, come into your studio or office, sit down with you, click what they want, send them home, get the prints ready, have them come back in again. So this cuts down all that needless kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. They select what they want and then they get to see all their images. So they'll get enticed by, oh, I want to buy this print, that print, that print, and they might buy more. So I think yeah. this is a great idea for all photographers that own a studio and kind of charge by that kind of style of way of life of photography. Yeah, it, it's, it's digital proofing as well. So, you know, you don't have to be exporting multiple iterations of the same image and they can look at it as well. And I, I think the idea of the comments link is quite good too. Um, the next one actually, and I, I actually was wrecking my head why it was doing this for me because I did it by accident, right? Which was when I use the rating system for my images. So if I'm going through all my images, I say, okay, which ones am I going to like? I normally use the number three because I don't think that anything is, a, is deserving of a five unless it's absolutely out of this world. So I use a three, okay? Um, and I press the three and then it would move on to the image next to it. And I'm like, why are you moving on to the image next to it? Now I've realized is actually what it is. It's designed to help you to rate your images faster. So if you've already culled some images and you're down to the last, whatever, 50, and within those you want to rate them, normally you click on it, click on the image, you press the number of one through to five and it rates it. But then you have to click on the next image or move your arrow key over to the next image and do it that way. So what this is a very simple thing is you hit caps lock and when caps lock is on, when you rate your image, it automatically will move on to the image next to you. So again, it saves time. And I kept wrecking my head. I was like, why is it keep moving over? I didn't realize that it was actually I had caps lock on. So I, I learned that one myself, but just purely by default. The next one here is, again, I think a very interesting one because, you know, okay, you and I, we use a 27-inch screen. So for editing our photos and editing our videos. But if you've worked on a smaller screen, you know, the, the real estate that you're working on there is, is, is a lot smaller, obviously. So when you want to get better control uh, with your sliders, you know, the default sizing of your, your task bars left and right on Lightroom may not necessarily be the right size for your screen. So a simple thing there is catch it with your mouse and drag it over to the left-hand side. That increases the real estate, which means that you now can be more precise because the sliders are longer. Yeah. I, lo I love that feature. I think it's, it's brilliant because it... Uh, you can be far more precise. Some mm. people edit with it with um what else kind of things? The tablets, the pens yes. and the tablets. Yes. Some people love them and they can be brilliant. It's just your preference of and it's very subjective of each person. I cannot use a tablet. You have bought one 
And yeah. I know for a fact, you can tell me all you want to tell me you use it. I know you're lying to me when you tell me you use it. Because you I've don't freaking use it. I've you tried. don't like it. And you won't admit it. I know you don't like it. No, I, 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 okay, on that point, <laughs> I, I, you're right. I haven't used it as much as I thought I would use it. I have tried. But each time that I say, okay, I'm going to try, I'm doing it on a live project that I'm under time from. So, you know, I don't have the time oh, right yeah. now to be able to go back over it and say, okay, I'm going to take it, pick an image and I'm going to edit it the way I normally would on the, on the, the mouse and whatever in the trackpad. But now I'll use the yeah. tablet. Um, but I actually did use it, believe it or not. I had to do my signature there for work. So I just used mm. that and just... I did my signature, bang, it came up on the screen, then I was able to send that off. So I did use it for that, True. but not for what I purchased it from. But yeah, that's yeah, a different yeah. note. That's not to do with Lightroom, that's just got to do with my laziness. <laughs> no, so we just yeah. got, it's, it's, not, it's not LRC, it's LDC. Yeah. yeah. Lazy What's Darren's that sin, for? Lazy oh. Darren's crisis, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, no, with, working with a mouse then, it, it's not as precise as it would be with a pen. But if you make those panels bigger, it's just so much easier for you yeah. to uh, use in Lightroom. So, yeah, I think it's a great tool. I've been using it for a long time. I think I discovered it about three years ago in, in an article, something similar to this. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Just catch it, drag it out, you've got more space, which is great. Um, and I suppose the last one here from uh, Kirk's article, which I didn't know of, uh, is that you can edit videos in Lightroom. Mm. Now, I remember making the mistake when I input my photos and I, in the past, I suppose, I'd take everything off an SD card, I'd dump it into one folder and then I'd go into Lightroom to import and it would see all the videos as well there. So, number one, it was slowing down Lightroom in the import videos. So I now change that and yeah. I move it over into a video folder alone and keep the images on themselves. But every so often there might be the odd video that might sneak in or whatever it may have been when I was importing the files. And you see the video and you go, oh, hang on. And you click on that. It's in the library. You go into develop and it says, videos cannot be edited in Lightroom, so you can't actually do it. Yeah. But this one actually is quite interesting, right? So I'll read the words, I suppose, that Kirk has in it again. It's th th this, this hidden feature is quite new, and he had no idea that you could even do this either. So as well as being a photographer, I also make a lot of videos, and sometimes those videos are stored within Lightroom for organization. So, you know, Lightroom is also, as you said before, a damn digital actual asset management system. So, but though that they're never edited in Lightroom, uh, when you click on the develop, nothing happens, like I said a moment ago. It's not yeah. entirely true. If you click on the video file to play it, at the bottom there's a small box next to the timestamp and a settings gear. Click this and select capture frame. This will create a JPEG from where the video is paused and you can now edit the file just like any other image in the develop module. And once finished editing the image, copy all the settings and paste them back into the original video. Hmm. Now, I didn't know that I, I could do that. Neither did I. I don't think I'd be a fan of it, though. Well, I don't think so either, because, okay, okay we, we do different things, I suppose, with the, with the videos, which we can touch on in a moment in Final Cut Pro. Um, but if you're using Lightroom, and if you think about this, it's something actually that I had looked for a while back, and probably because of my own incompetence as well, to be honest, is that I wanted my video to match the, the style of the image. But I couldn't do it because the white balance was different from different styles of cameras. So I wasn't using a Canon to record the video. I was taking my images with my Canon camera. So you're getting a different color profile. And I was like, okay, this is looking um, quite, it was a Sony camera, I think, actually, that it um, 
the image came yes. from. So it was a different yes. colour, let's just say, right? Um, and also the image, the video was shot in D-Log or something like that too. So, you know, I didn't know what I was doing, let's just say, to enable me to edit it. But either which way, when I was looking then and putting the video together, there was the footage from my camera, which was Canon. There was the footage from the Sony and the contrast in colour science was, was, was vast. And I was wondering, how could I match it? Now I could have done that. It probably wouldn't have been great. Might have been still work to be done, but I could have done that within this. So I think it's a very interesting thing to do if you want to kind of create uh, a similar look and feel to your images, but also if you want to be able to do the editing on the video and you don't have access to Final Cut Pro or uh, Premiere Pro. But what do you do from editing your videos from the, the colouring point of view? Uh, I just shoot in... Um it has to be a C log on my Canon, and I have to grade everything. Otherwise, it's just coming out just pure mucky, raw, know, flat, very flat. Yeah. So, like, I use Final Cut Pro. I use color wheels, color curves, everything. I'm going deep enough, deeper than I really need to, mm-hmm. um, because I like to get the most out of everything I can possibly can for my vlogs. Um, I could be lazy about it and kind of just slap a preset on it and just kind of just like Lightroom, kind of slide it down, slide it up or whatever. But no, I like to go in and kind of refine it a bit. Sometimes uh, I might go overboard and I kind of notice that once I watch back the video and go, oh, I need to go back in there now and kind of tweak that. I just went a bit wild there in that part. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just, it's all Final Cut Pro. I, I don't think even, it does sound kind of cool, but I can tell you now, I, I won't even try it. Yeah. I probably won't either because we, yeah, that's because we have Final Cut Pro, but if you didn't have that, you know, enable you to be able to edit your videos and get a good look and feel within Lightroom. And again, you know, I think the idea of it there is quite novel. I didn't realize that you could take a a screen grab, you know. Um, So yeah, that's a, that's an interesting one. Um, So that was the last point, I suppose, that that Kirk would have had. Um, And then, you know, we had this new update that came from Lightroom as well, which is just released and we alluded at the very beginning, but there's a new feature within that. And I think it's quite an interesting feature, which is that I can't get it. I I, I can't, I couldn't get it to work when I first tried it, but you have. So you're now the expert between the two of us on this new feature. So tell everybody (laughs) about your, your expert knowledge on this new feature in uh, LRC. Yeah, yeah. So it's what it actually is, is a hue saturation luminance kind of slider in a localized area. So again, you can use it for graduated filters, radial filters and the brush filters. And this is something that has been needed for a very, very long time. I love introduction of this and saturation is actually introduced to this also, which wasn't there prior. So what you need to do is if you have your brush or your graduated filter open, uh, just click your image and just say we had a graduated filter and we, what we're going to do is we're going to drag one down, right? And yeah. also a keyboard shortcut, press H and that disappears and reappears your guides, okay? So in your graduated filter, you've three lines. You've one at the back, one in the middle and one at the bottom, right? Yeah. Or one top, one bottom. So if you click the bottom one or the top one and you see the hand kind of go in you can reduce the amount of space between those three lines or you can drag it out so that's a very handy tool to know that's another top tip from me so 
Well, hang on a sec. Well, hang on a second. No, let's explain what that's actually doing. Because by dragging it down and creating more space, when you're talking of that, it actually is turning your grad filter into a softer grad filter. So Correct. the closer the closer you go on the lines, the harder the grad filter will become. So you know we discussed yeah. that recently in another episode, um, but that's an important one as to why you would do that. Sorry for interrupting it. Yeah, no, you're fine. Thank you very much for um, explaining that because I just literally glossed over it. <laughs> <laughs> so go on here. So I've I've a graduated filter there. Yeah, go on. Yeah, so you can, what I like to do for this, right, is I like to reduce the exposure or brighten it just so I can see where it's affecting the image. You can always go back and rechange it. So let's just drop it down to maybe minus three stops of light and you can see what it's doing to your image and what, and where you want to place it. So if we place it just above our mountains, whatever, we can bring our exposure up or down, whatever we need to do. But if you go down then about half a down, you have these two bars and they're matched nicely. So oranges, yellows, greens, teal, blue, uh, pink, magenta, red, orange, red, whatever. Yes. But there's like a teardrop on the bottom bar. You can go yes. in and you can select that. And as you move that, the bar above will adapt. So you're changing the hue to pink, magenta, green, teal, orange, or whatever you want. Now, you could, should go to the extremities just to see the effect that it's having on the image. But remember, these things need to be used very subtly. Otherwise, you will be known as a fraud or just a crazy person. <laughs> okay. But to be used very uh, finely, uh, like you can go in and press the use fine adjustment. So what that's basically doing, it's like a tripod, uh, an architectural tripod. So where you make very fine adjustments to get your the greatest final image possible. And this is very similar. So you can now move the slider over and back and it just really moves it very slowly. So it's like the real estate that we wanted more room to refine the, the adjustment of that brush then. So mm -hmm. that just, it's absolutely perfect. So we click off there again and let's just go into, we'll reset everything just to go, and we're gonna go into the brush tool now. And let's just say we're going to brush just part of the sky, okay? Yeah. And we'll reduce the exposure as well, just so we can see our affected areas. But if you wanted to also remember, if you press the O key, then you'll see a red spray paint and it'll tell you exactly where you've affected it also. So you don't have to have the minus yeah. uh, exposure. Gotcha. So deep. So what we're going to do now is we're going to bring it uh, maybe minus 0.36, but you can go in and you can change the saturation of that part of the image now also. And now you can just say, oh, look, that was never there before because I'd often go in and I just want to brush just part of that part of the image to be a little bit extra green. I can go in and I can just boost that green, just that part. It's really, really cool. Mm. So I love this addition. I think it's something that was very much needed. We yes. could we gotten by for God knows fucking nine versions of Lightroom without it, but look, it's it's here now. It's here to stay, and I think it's a very very welcomed addition. And you can marry all this then as well with your range masking, with your color and your luminance, also for luminosity kind of masking, kind of your introduction to that side of things. So yeah, it's a, it's a great update, and I think Lightroom are heading in the right track, and especially with the performance gains that they've actually introduced it is ever so slightly faster. So it's yeah. also a welcome addition. Now I do have to keep in mind that I am running a computer with 40 gigs of RAM, uh, very high spec Mac machinery. So 
uh, if you had an older machine, is the performance games the same? I don't know. Maybe I need to try it on my MacBook Pro because that's a bit older because uh, I haven't updated that one yet. Yeah, yeah. And I think, look, you know, the way they're going with Lightroom right now, let me ask you the question. Like from a photographer point of view, not a digital artist, but from a photographer point of view, there's not much now that I need to go into Photoshop for. So maybe they wrote Lightroom for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, Darren, I still think the clone tool is the next thing that needs to be yeah. refined and just uh, just make a new one. From the ground up, this needs to be refined. This needs to do a better job. Now, I'm very good with it. I can do a lot of things with the clone tool that most people cannot. It just takes time and effort and zooming into a certain area and being able to clone out this and clone out that. But it is literally, Photoshop is light years ahead with its clone technology than Lightroom is. I think it's just, it's a diamond dozen compared to fucking uh, a bag of coal. Jeez, that's some comparison. Fair play to you. Oh, yeah. And you, you know what? Yeah. I actually have my own Lightroom tip to add in here. Can you believe that? Oh, God, Jesus Christ. First he starts learning Photoshop at Blinden. Now he's got his own tips. Holy <laughs> smokes. Ring the press. <laughs> well, I think my tip, and I, I did mention it before, I think, but, you know, for people that may not have heard it, is if you suffer from spots on the I image, thought you were going to say gas. <laughs> no, no, if you, that's you. Um, you suffer from spots too. Yeah, okay, maybe you do. Yeah, but if you suffer from spots on your image, okay, so sensor spots or dust spots or whatever it may have been, and if you're yeah. by the sea or whatever, you know, uh, a simple tool to enable you to be able to see these is to use the dehaze slider. And when oh, you yeah. go into that, just whack it all the way up to 100. Your image will look absolutely diabolical. But what you will see is every single spot that is there that's disrupting that image. And it's something that, you know, I use all the time when I want to look for uh, any artifacts that are in an image. Uh, and you know what? You'd be amazed because if you, what you see with your eye, you think, okay, that image is clean. Great. Do it that and then kick in the dehaze and you will see the difference that you can get. It's actually immense. Yeah, I think it's great. You're right. It does actually work very, very well because there is another way to do it, but I find that the dehaze tool is a far better tool to use because you can visually see yeah. where it actually is. The other way you can do it is if you press, it mightn't be visible to you right now, but if you're in your basic module on the side, in, sorry, in the develop module on your basic panel or detail or whatever, uh, you you got pressed the or spot removal. Yeah. And press T. So press T to show the toolbar, and down the bottom you'll have tool overlay, and then you'll have visualize spots. To the yeah. side. If you click visualize spots, it just goes like we are sharpening the screen. Yes. And if you move it over to the left or the right, then you can refine the edges, and it you might see your dust spots from there. Yes. So I'm shooting on a Canon ESR, so I've no dust spots. So yeah, let's move on. I <laughs> oh, that's a very good one, actually. I don't understand either. I'm, I'm destroyed in dust spots, but yet somebody is able to do it there. Very good, yeah. All right. But anyway, yeah, look, you can do that, but I actually prefer using the dehaze because they're actually yeah. easier to see rather than this whole image going into a, a simple vector, black and white, because within that, if you've got a lot of different textures, it can be quite hard to see them. Whereas if you use the dehaze tool, it's a simple yeah. thing to do and Much bang, better. 
they jump out. But obviously, make sure you remember to bring your DHAs back down. Your image isn't as bad, uh, you know, <laughs> after you go through the whole lot and then you go, Jesus, my image looks absolutely brutal. So, yeah, that's my <laughs> tip that I can add into this whole uh, Lightroom conversation for this evening, Dermot. Have you any more? Love you it. seem to have loads. Uh, I've given out enough now tonight and you need to book a class at me in which I can absolutely do it's absolutely no problem because I do with some students here in Limerick for the UL Photographic Society so if you are interested in going through some classes I have Mark Fletcher that comes down to me once in a, uh, every few weeks and I have a few other students that call to the house as well so you can do um, it remotely now as well don't forget that exactly so I can do it now with screen share which I've done with a few students now and you can still call to the house, but maybe uh, wait till the end or midweek the next month and I'll start taking students back in the office because I have two computers here that they can work on as well. And it's like showing them through the big computer and they yeah. get to work and they learn their skills. So I don't charge very much. I only charge 25 euros for an hour session and I go through absolutely everything with them, what they're struggling with and I give them top tips here, there and everything. And they get material uh, to go away with them so they get printed sheets to teach them how to do things that we've went over that uh, that session so yeah yeah brilliant, brilliant. so just give so me a yeah. mail if, you, if, you, if you're interested and uh, yeah, you all know where I am sure how could they not <laughs> true, true, Mayor, true. Um, so look that concludes I suppose what I want to discuss this evening on Lightroom um, you know I certainly learned a few things anyway doing it and I hope the people that are listening as well would have learned also you know if you have let us know in the comments in the Facebook group uh, did you know them all already? Was there some that surprised you? Have you any got any of your own that you want to share, I suppose, uh, that you use as part of your own workflow? Just like Dermot has lots as well. You know, let's kind of open up the conversation, I suppose, and uh, we can see where it'll be at you. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Come here, actually, before we go, uh, did you see the news during the week? <laughs> the news. Um, the EOS R5. Yeah, I did. Um, I saw some news about the R5 and R6 and some of the R6 specs were rumoured rumored releases that uh, were, sti were sticking out. And I don't think it's going to be an amazing photographic camera, but I think it's going to be an absolute awesome video camera, especially with the low pixel count. So it's a 20 megapixel camera. But Which think is of this way, the, less the, the R6? The R6. Yeah. The R6, okay. yeah. yeah. So if you think of it this way, the lower the pixels, the better ISO handling that that camera is going to have. So it's the same with the Sony A7S. So and they've just released that uh, they're going to be releasing their A7S soon also. Well, they haven't released it. It's rumoured. Mm -hmm. But that's coming out also as well because people have been waiting about 40 years for that camera. But they're the same. They have a very low pixel count. So they can fight the ISO that much better. So I think maybe Canon is kind of pushing and knocking on that side of the door to make it more of a vlogging camera, you know, so it can withstand higher ISOs. It's that much better. And if it was affordable, I would genuinely, I'm not buying the R5. I, you, you will not convince me to buy the R5. I'll probably buy the Mark II when it comes out in, I don't know, four years. Mm. But I'm, I'm, I would be interested in the R6 as a third camera for video style, video work like, you know. Yeah, well, what I was talking about was the R5 has confirmed that the megapixels are 40. Oh, sorry, I didn't, I didn't know that. 45 megapixels. Interesting. Okay, I think that's good. Yeah. So, but then it goes in the gates, what you say there. So effectively, if it's got a higher megapixel count, it's going to be worse for noise. So it's not going to be the greatest for images. So, so very similar. Yeah, but more, 
most people that are you going to be using that will be uh, landscape photographers or uh, but you know, technology is move is moving on at a very very fast pace. So mm. I'm sure they're going to. I think it's. I think two of them are going to be very good cameras. I don't think. I think the R5 will be slightly better than R6, especially with the higher pixel counts. So you'll be able to do a lot more cropping. Uh, I don't think the six R6 will be a wildlife photographer's camera because they won't have any cropping room. So like, yeah, I think the R5 will be for them. Yeah, and and the rumor mill still has it's not confirmed yet, but it has um, five stops of ibis in the R five. Okay, of in body, in body, obviously in body stabilization. Yeah, so you know maybe we'll have news on that in a couple of weeks because it's going to be the early part of July when that's going to be released, and I'm sure there'll be a big fanfare from it. And uh, you know, I remember going back to when the EOS R was launched. And the three of us were watching the same thing. Now I think it's going to be very similar to what they've done before. Um, But now this is with the big launch and availability. So let's see. I'm excited to see it. I don't know. There's a lot of different things about the pricing as well, uh, which hasn't been confirmed. So it's either going to be extremely expensive or it's going to be an unbelievable (laughs) price. And that Canon don't want the competitors to know the price that they're going to be releasing it at. So they want to come in and kind of go, boom, look what we can do for this price. Or look what we can do and it's going to cost you a fortune because it is going to be the flagship model. Um, so yeah, that's the uh, that's the interesting. The ninth of July, they're going to be releasing all that information. So and there's going to be some new lenses also. So do keep in touch, and I'm sure we'll try to do a podcast live as it happens. Yeah, if exactly, possible. exactly, exactly. So I just wanted to give a shout out to Andy the Northern Diver. Go check him out on YouTube. Go check him out on Instagram. If any questions, just pop them to him on those two platforms, and I'm sure he'll be a true gent. And reply with a great response for you. Tell him I sent you. All right. So look, uh, thanks very much, Dermot, for being uh, an excellent co-host. And uh, thanks very much for everybody for listening. And, um, you know, like I said earlier, if you're uh, already in the Facebook group, go and let us know how you thought the episode. And if you're not in the Facebook group, well, what's getting you? Go down to Facebook, search for the Irish Photography Podcast, jump on over, name one of the hosts, and we'll uh, love to continue the conversation. So, yeah, for me, thanks very much. And uh, shalom before. Hey guys, if you dig what you're hearing, why don't you jump over to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a five-star rating, and don't forget to share with your friends. With all that done, we'll see you next week, and remember, keep shooting.